Today we're going to look at specifically how to stay on track spiritually. How to stay on track spiritually. You know, Paul, in the beginning of this book, of 1 Timothy that we're in, talked about two guys that didn't stay on track spiritually. He said in the first chapter of this book, this I command you, entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, Timothy, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, <clears throat> and notice, and suffered shipwreck in regards to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, so they'll be taught not to blaspheme. So Paul gives an example in the very first chapter of two guys that were walking with the Lord and serving the Lord. Now they're shipwrecked. They're derailed. They've departed from the faith even. And so what we're going to look at today, Paul's going to give a whole chapter today of some principles on how not to be shipwrecked in your faith, how not to be derailed, how not to go off course, but to stay on course. That's very important because Satan's goal is to get you to quit. Satan's goal is to get you just to depart from the faith. Satan's goal is to, you know, John chapter 10, verse 10, is to kill, steal, and destroy you spiritually. Not just physically, spiritually. He wants to take you out spiritually. And that's why one of my life verses is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. I love the example of the Apostle Paul, who at the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he could say these words because he didn't depart from the faith. He didn't get shipwrecked. He could say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And because of that, in the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me also, but to all who love is appearing. And so my heart, as your pastor, is I want to see all of you finish well. I want to see all of you keep fighting the good fight. I want to see all of you not depart from the faith. Apostle John put it this way, I have no greater joy than to see my children are continuing to walk in the truth. That's what I want for you all. I want you to not be in the sprint and then die out spiritually. I want you to be in the marathon of Christianity and live it to the very end. Where you could say, Paul, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course God's had for me. Very important. I was thinking of two guys as I was preparing this message. Two individuals that were very influential in my spiritual pilgrimage. The first one was my young life leader. My young life leader was the, the guy that, you know, Bruce Barkley was the guy that shared Christ with me and witnessed to me for all those months of walking home at school. But the guy that, that prayed the sinner's prayer with me sat in a station wagon February 1978, and I prayed to receive Christ. And he wrote out on this little napkin after lunch uh, the whole gospel with the cross and with me on this side of the chasm and holy God on the other side and the cross bridging the gap. And I understood the gospel as he explained it to me for the first time fully. And I received Christ. My whole life was changed. Guilt was gone and the Holy Spirit just filled my life. And I remember he, after that time of receiving Christ, that Young Life Leader met with me on a weekly basis, had me read some different discipleship books, actually gave me a, a structure for a quiet time, got me praying, got me in the Word. Then, then I went to his campaigners group on Monday night and Young Life on Tuesday nights, and he helped me sp spiritually in immense ways. And then after I left, I went to college, and then I went into seminary. I found out when, in seminary that he wasn't the Young Life Leader anymore. Not only did I find out that he wasn't a young life leader anymore, but I found out, and it broke my heart, but he was, went through a really hard divorce. 
And then, just recently, in the last few years, I found out that he's not even walking with the Lord anymore. He's departed from the faith. Now, part of it was probably the divorce. Part of it might have been just the condemnation and judgment of some Christians around him that just totally turned him off. But I, I, I looked him up on Facebook this week because I just wanted to see if there was anything, maybe a repentance of turning back to God or whatever else, and there hadn't been. And I was, I was looking on Facebook, and I know some of you think that's like I was, I was creeping on him, but I was just wanting to see where he's at. And so I looked up his Facebook page, and it, was, it was just broke my heart because right in the front of his Facebook page, former Young Life leader, it says, former believer, humanist. And then I looked up information on his Young Life, where it's info about what, what he believes or whatever. He had under religious views, he had put atheist and free thinker. I'm going, oh, breaking my heart. The guy that, that led me in the sinner's prayer and led me to Christ and to disciple me and taught me how to pray, and he's atheist now, free thinker. And that reminded me again, as I saw that Facebook page, saying, we got to be careful. Satan's goal is to do that to all of us, to get all of us to be shipwrecked. But then I thought of another guy, the guy that pastored me and taught me how to do ministry. His name is Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel. I thought about how he discipled me and just teaching the word. I listened to the whole Bible about Pastor Chuck from Genesis to Revelation when back in the day when we had cassettes. Remember, we had a whole wall full of cassettes with these, remember those wooden walls you could put the cassettes in and stuff? I had a whole wall of Pastor Chuck, and he discipled me in teaching the word. I went to his pastor's conferences and just sat under his teaching and saw his example. And I remember Pastor Chuck total opposite there in regards to 86 years old. He lived to 86, and he did never wavered, never departed. He just kept going 100 miles per hour for Christ to the point that he built a church from 25 people in 1965, the original Calvary Chapel, to about 10,000 people. And then he, he started, started helping churches all over the country be started in Calvary Chapels. Eventually, 1,200 Calvary Chapels around the country have been started, a lot because of his leadership. And then Bible colleges all over Europe and Sweden and Austria and South America and Central, all over the world, Bible colleges have been started because he never never waver, never stop, and incredible impact in regards to not just my life, but millions of people have been impacted because he never wavered. He never departed. He never got shipwrecked. And then I, I was thinking about Pastor Chuck, even at the end of his life when he got lung cancer, even though he never smoked a single cigarette in his whole life, he got lung cancer. Part of it was living in a place called L.A. or Southern California where there's smog everywhere. But anyways, he got lung cancer, and Instead of just quitting and being frustrated, he just kept teaching the word. Three services on Sunday morning, um, uh, Monday through Friday, radio program. And the very last Sunday he taught, he was up on the stage with an oxygen tank teaching three services to thousands of people. And then the Monday after that, he did his radio call-in show, and that Wednesday he died. And I could just see Jesus ushering him into heaven saying, well done good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. I want to be like that. I want to fight the good fight, finish the course, and keep the faith like my pastor did. And I want all of us to finish well. I want you to finish well too. And so we're going to give you six principles this morning that will help you with that. You ready to study church? Amen. Okay, let's jump right in. 
First thing, notice what he says. Chapter 4, this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will what? There it is right there. Depart, fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now what's that? That's false teaching. We're told about it a little bit more in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, where it says, As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every window of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's, that's, and what's, what happens is Satan tries to blow through the church winds of doctrine that are false, that are doctrines of demons that are false teaching. And if you're not careful, it can lead you astray. And then it says in verse 2, these false teachers, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Interesting. One of the ways you could tell a false teacher is hypocrisy. They have no conscience. Their consciences have been seared to the point that they, they don't even have a, a, a moral compass of right and wrong. They're doing wrong things with a moral conscience. It's not there. Verse 3. Men, these false teachers who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. What that's saying is the false teaching that was coming, blowing through the church of Ephesus in the areas where Timothy was at was a, a, a false teaching of asceticism. What is asceticism? It's an extreme um, abstinence from things. It's a forced legalism. And they were telling people, don't get married. And they were basically telling people it's wrong to get married right now. And not only that, they were telling people you can't eat this food and you can't eat that food. But what did Jesus say about food? Jesus says it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus, according to the Gospels, declared all food clean. And so this asceticism was not according to what Jesus taught. Also with marriage. God said it's a good thing when a man finds a wife. God's ordained marriage. And if someone's outlawing, out, 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 basically saying marriage is wrong, that's not in accordance with God's word. And it says, for everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's to be received with gratitude. Now, be careful with that verse. I've heard people use that verse about everything God's created is good and nothing's to be rejected, and that's why I smoke pot. Careful. God's created poisonous mushrooms, too. Do you eat those? If you're smart, you don't. So don't misinterpret Scripture or twist Scripture to justify doing something wrong. And that's what some people use that verse by. I've heard them use that verse before. Everything God's created, oh, take another token. Let's, let's, let's enjoy it. That's not what that's saying. Balance Scripture with Scripture. For it is sanctified by means of the Word of God in prayer. What's sanctified by means of the Word of God? Well, Word of God sanctifies the fact that all food's clean. Jesus said that, not what, again, proceeds into the mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of the mouth because that reflects your heart. But also, our food is sanctified by prayer. How do we sanctify our, our food with prayer? By blessing it. We should all do that. Before, before we eat anything, we should sanctify the food we're eating by blessing it and thanking God for it and saying, God, nourish our bodies with this food so we could serve you better, God. And, and that's a part of why we bless our food. I love when we go out to restaurants and I see other believers in those restaurants and we see a, a whole family around the, the, the tables just holding hands and praying together. That's sanctifying our food. Now, first thing, you want to stay on track spiritually? First thing, first thing, 
Stay away from false teaching. Be careful in what you listen to. Be careful in what you watch on TV. Be careful what you read. Don't be influenced by false teaching. Now, how can you not be influenced by false teaching? By being a Berean. Acts 17.11 says the Bereans were noble-minded because they searched the scriptures themselves to see if what Apostle Paul would say was true. And one of the ways we could stay away from false teaching is by being a student of the word ourselves because here's what happens. <clears throat> you get into the word and you study the word well enough and you read it and memorize it and you study it. Here's what happens. is when, when a false teacher starts going on false teaching, a red flag goes off because you've got a foundation of God's word. And you know that's not what the word of God says. I remember one of the very first pastors at conference I went to as a pastor. I was in Southern California, just starting a brand new church, wasn't in Calvary Chapel yet. And the Crystal Cathedral in Orange County, California, invited all the Southern California pastors to come to a leadership conference. And it was free. And you know, Pastor John, when free is good, especially when you're planting a church and you're broke. And so I was invited to this pastor's conference, and some of the speakers there are guys I wanted to hear. It was a leadership conference. John Maxwell was there, and some other leaders, speakers were there. And so I said, oh, it's free. I'm going to go. And I'll never forget going to that pastor's conference and hearing the guy that was leading the whole conference at his church stand up in the pulpit. And he said, guys, I want to tell you something. Here at this church, in this pulpit, I never mentioned the word sin. Because people struggle enough and they don't need to be told they're sinners. They know they're sinners. Don't, so never from this pulpit will we ever mention sin. Bam! Red flag. Because the Bible is very clear. It mentions sin all the time. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love for us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. And then he said, okay, now I'm going to show you a video too. I just was in Moscow in Russia. And they let me speak uh, on this nationwide talk show where I was interviewed on this nationwide talk show. And I got to speak to millions of Russian people and, and, and was interviewed on this main station in Russia. This one in Russia was still strongly communist. And I said, well, this will be interesting. And they asked him, what's the crux of your message? What's the crux of your message? You know what he said? That God wants man to feel better about himself and have a better self-esteem. And I'm going, red flag! And I was looking for lightning bolts, too. Was, this church is going to be burned to the ground right here. Because is that, is that, is that is, no, that's a, that, that's a doctrine of, of the devil himself, because the whole thing is the devil wants us to focus on ourself and our self-esteem rather than focus on Christ and what he's done on the, Christ, on the cross for our sins. And the first step to getting people saved is to get them lost so that they know that they're sinners in need of a Savior. And so the, the, thing, the thing we need to do, church, is we need to be Bereans and not just submit. Just because someone has a big church or a TV ministry or has written a lot of books, always put it through the filter of God's Word. Because our belief is not based on what man says. It's what God says through the authority of His words because all Scripture is inspired by God. And is, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So if you want to stay on track spiritually, first thing, stay away from false teaching. Be careful. Be careful. Always put what you're believing and what you're listening to through the filter of God's word. And God's word will help you stay on track with that. Amen?
Okay, now, going on after that, it says this. In pointing out these things, verse 6, it says to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. That's the second thing. Not only do we need to put everything to the filter of God's word and make sure that we're testing our teachers and we're staying away from false teaching, but the second thing is right here, he says, we need to be people that are nourished by God's word. What did Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. First Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn babes, we're to long for the pure milk of the word, that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. We are to be people that are constantly reading God's word, meditating God's word, hearing God's word taught, you know, memorizing God's word. As we do that, we're going to be nourished by God's word. And then the nourishment of God's word will help us to keep with sound doctrine. Question, do you only eat once a week on Sunday mornings and that's it? No. And that's physically. And we should do the same thing spiritually. We should eat of God's word, be nourished by it every day of the week. Psalm 1 verse 3 tells us the blessed man is the man who meditates on God's law night and day. And his leaf will not wither. And he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, and whatever he does will prosper. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want you to be that kind of Christian, too, that you're just feeding on God's word like a tree sucking from the roots the water from a river, and you're just blossoming with fruit because you're nourished by God's word. And that's why I love Calvary Chapel, because what we do here at Calvary Chapel Every time we get together, we feed on God's word. We try, to, we try to cook you up a feast every time we get together. Because we want you to be strong. We want you to be healthy. We want you to be nourished. We want you to be nourished by words of faith in this book and the sound doctrine that's in this book. And that'll help you stand track spiritually. I remember when I first came to Christ, I just God gave me this insatiable hunger for God's word. And I remember when I first came to Christ, I remember, remember I, was, I was going to campaigners Monday night Bible study, Tuesday night Young Life Club, Friday night uh, I was going to Dr. Dave's Bible College professor's Bible study on Friday night. I was going to church every Sunday morning at Calvary Memorial Bible Church. And then Sunday night I had my little black and white TV, 19-inch black and white TV. I'd turn it on and there was a Sunday evening club on Channel 11 in Chicago that was all different famous preachers would come on and they would teach the Word of God in this Chicago uh, TV station. And I just grew like a weed because of the nourishment of God's Word. And that's what God's Word does. It doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the purpose of what is said. If you feed upon it, you will be a growing, maturing Christian that's staying on track and going forward with what God wants you to do. God's Word. You need to be nourished by it. You need to feed on it. You need to be sound doctrine in your life because you're constantly in God's Word. Verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Let's go on. On the other hand, <laughs> I won't expound on that one. On, on the other hand, discipline yourself for what? Purpose of godliness. Notice this. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know what that's saying? It's okay to be, do bodily discipline. It's okay to get your 10,000 steps in every day. 
It's okay to go to Planet Fitness or whatever gym you go to. It's okay because there's little profit. There's some profit there. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of them, right? Bodily discipline. So it's of some profit. It's a little profit. But what's of most profit? What's the most profitable thing you could do? Spiritual disciplines. And that's why it says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In our cultures twisted on this, our culture is such an emphasis, especially when I was in Southern California, such an emphasis on spiritual disciplines. There's gyms everywhere at every corner in Southern California, and people prioritize so much bodily discipline, but very little spiritual discipline. I drive every Saturday morning, I drive to church on the Smith Pond Road over here, and there's something that always kind of makes me feel guilty because I'm driving to this beautiful breakfast and all this good food and chocolate chip pancakes. And as I'm driving, and it's still dark sometimes, I'm driving at 6.30, 7 in the morning, and there's guys jogging. And they get, I mean, they're sometimes in the cold and the dark, and they got like these lights on, and they're glowing and everything else. And I'm going, Bo, God bless you guys. And, I, and I'm thinking about, you know, thinking about the chocolate chip pancakes I'm about to eat. And I go, oh, I better not eat those chocolate chip pancakes. These guys are running right now. But at the same time, when I get to Bible study, and we got 50, 60 men with their Bibles open, and we're breaking down Scripture, and we're feeding on God's Word, I think about the fact, yeah, those joggers, they're, they're doing a good thing, taking care of their bodies and stuff, and that's, that's a little, some little discipline. That's, that's some profit there. But it's not as important what we're doing as men on Saturday morning with our Bibles open, feeding on God's Word. Because bodily discipline is of little profit, but godly discipline is of much profit because it not only blesses you in this life, but the life to come. So this is the next point. Discipline yourself. You want to have a, stay on track spiritually? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What's discipline? Discipline is delaying self-gratification right now for future rewards. And if you want to be successful in any area of life, you got to be disciplined. you got to put off what your flesh wants to do right now and put to death that thing of, of just doing the, do what the flesh wants to do. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. How does that work in the spiritual realm? Oh, Sunday morning comes along. It's raining outside. It's cold like it was this morning. It's just dumping water and you're saying, man, I just maybe should just hit the snooze button. Maybe I'll just stay home and maybe I can live stream it while I'm making some chocolate chip pancakes for myself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of God. It's like getting yourself to church. Because one of the disciplines that will help you stay on track spiritually is to be with God's people on a regular basis, being in worship, being in the Word, having that stimulation of being around people that love Jesus like you do. Discipline yourself for the purpose of God. Stay in church, whether it's easy or not. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And uh, again, having times every morning where you wake up, and you maybe wake up 15, 20, 30 minutes earlier than you, you have to, to get in the Word. Read a chapter or two of the Bible. Pray. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Again, your flesh would just push the snooze button and let's get a shower and get to work. No, no, no. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. How about friendships? It says bad company corrupts good morals. But you know what? Good company will help you, spur you on to a life of godliness. Let's get beyond just Sunday morning Christianity where you only see Christians on Sunday morning. That's it. No, let's build some relationships with some people, I'll tell you how you're going to grow spiritually, partly by who you, the company is you keep. 
You get around people that love Jesus and are on fire for Jesus and they have relationships, friendships with them, they'll spur you on to love and good deeds. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and it'll help you stay on track. And again, bodily discipline's all right. Take care of yourself. Go to the gym. That's fine. But prioritize even more than bodily discipline, godly disciplines. It'll help you grow and help you stay on track. And then Paul goes on. It's a trustworthy statement, verse 9, deserving full acceptance, for it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who's the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now notice what Paul says to Timothy, the pastor. Prescribe and teach these things. Now what does prescribe mean? It means you're giving something, a prescription, a medicine for somebody so they can have healing. So that's what God's Word does? It's like a medicine. This book is like a medicine. And as you get taught God's Word, it'll bring healing into your life. And it says this, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example to those who believe. Here's the next thing Paul's saying to Timothy. St. Timothy, you're young. Most scholars believe he's only around 30. In the Jewish culture at that time, uh, you can even be an elder until you were 50. So he had probably elders in his church that were 50 plus years old, and some of them were kind of probably giving him a hard time about his youth. You're way too young to be teaching us. So Paul says to Timothy, don't let him look down on your youthfulness. Rather, Timothy, prove yourself to be an example. An example of what? In your speech? Timothy, be careful in your words. Let your speech be seasoned with grace and truth. Let your speech be uh, not unwholesome words, but words of grace that'll build other people up. Timothy, watch your words. And then Timothy, also your conduct. Be careful, Timothy, in your conduct. Prove to be an example in your conduct. What's your conduct? The way you live. And then Timothy, be careful too in your love. What does that mean? It means don't just talk the talk and not care about people. Timothy is a pastor there in Ephesus. Love people. And Timothy, be an example also in your faith, in your purity. In other words, Timothy, be a person that trusts the Lord. And people could see the reality of your faith and the way you trust the Lord. And Timothy, be an example in your faith too, in your, in your, in your, in your, 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 your love, but also it says there, your purity. That's holiness. In other words, Timothy, don't just talk the talk as a pastor. Walk the walk. Here's the next thing. If you want to stay on track spiritually, realize you're an example. People are watching you. And you're professing Christ, so live it. Prove yourself to be an example. In other words, be accountable to the fact that you're saying you're a Christian. And so let your light shine in such a way that others see your good works and then they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? I face this all the time, church. You've got to realize we got this TV show at 6.30 in the morning on ABC. It, it does our, our teaching and stuff. And I was amazed. I thought no one would watch it at 6.30 in the morning. I thought everybody would be sleeping. But 1,800 households, according to the Nielsen Reigns, 1,800 households watch that every Sunday morning. And then we have the radio station here locally and stuff. And uh, a lot of people are listening to our radio, too, here, right here in Lexington. And they... And, and, and then we also have live streaming, and then we have Facebook stuff going on and everything else. And what I'm realizing as our church grows and as we've been around for about 22 years now, everywhere I turn, people know who I am. It happened again this last week. I didn't know where I at Root Cellar or whatever it's called, restaurant, and the waitress comes up. I didn't know who she was. And she goes, are you John Hoppy? I go, yeah, I'm John Hoppy. And why? 
And she goes, well, I used to go to Calvary Chapel, and I know you're the pastor there. Uh, I, well, I better give you a good tip then. And every, everywhere we run into people, stores, Kmart, Walmart, every, there's always people, hey, Pastor John, how you doing? Whoa, well, I'm doing good. But you know what that does for me? It holds me accountable. Better be careful in my speech, my conduct, my driving even. And that's, that's, a, that's another area the Lord's still working on me on. But I know I need to be an example in my conduct, in my faith, in my purity, in my love. Because I'm professing this Christ, I want to shine a light in, other, in such a way that others may see our good works. That holds me accountable. It keeps me on track. And it should hold all of us accountable as we profess Christ. Now, does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we, we don't get upset in traffic anymore? No. It, it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. But it means we're pursuing holiness. Because we're, we're, we're to be an example to other people in our speech, our conduct, our faith, our love. And we're people that are seeking for us his kingdom and his righteousness so he could add all things unto us. Amen? Let's just not talk the talk. Let's be an example. Let's walk it out before people and shine our light so they could see our good works. And then Paul goes on with Timothy and says, Until I give attention, Timothy, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teachings, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Now, before we go on to the spiritual gift part, notice what they did in church, in the New Testament church. They'd give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation of Scripture, and then the instruction of Scripture. What they would do is they'd read books like First Timothy. Let's read the book, and we'll read uh, portions or whatever. We'll read the Scripture, and then we'll exhort it. We'll admonish you from it, and we'll We'll, we'll break it down and, and give you some practical admonishments of exhortation and encouragement. And then we'll instruct. The word instruct means we'll teach. We'll instruct you. And this is what the Scripture is saying. And we'll give you application. And we'll, we'll teach you well, this is what it says. This is what we observe. This is how we interpret it. And this is how to apply it. Now, does that sound familiar? What do we do here at Cabot Chapel? We give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Then we try to bring some exhortation from it. Then we try to teach you it. And I love Calvary Chapel for that. We don't try to mamby-pamby you with all these great oratorical speeches. We're just reading the Scripture, we're exhorting from it, and then we're teaching you it. And that's where the power is at, by the way. I have nothing to say every week, but the Word of God has everything to say. And my goal every week is just to read you the Scripture, exhort you from it, and then teach what it says, and then get out of the way. Because all Scripture, man, it will not return empty. It will accomplish a purpose for which it is sent. And then he says in verse 14, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying out of hands by the presbytery. Now this, Paul's recollecting, he's reminiscing about the fact that Timothy, when, when, when you began the ministry, the elders, the presbyteries, the elders, they laid hands on you. And then they laid hands on you and had prophetic utterances. What is that? They had words from the Lord that, Timothy, your spiritual gifts are going to be teaching. Timothy, your spiritual gifts are going to be to be a pastor. Timothy, your spiritual gifts will be evangelism and leadership. And they bestow that on him. And Paul says, don't forget that. Don't forget this gifting that's been imparted to you through the elders. Now, this is the next thing. If we want to stay on track spiritually, we need to discover our gifts you know if you're a Christian, you've got a spiritual gift God wants you to use to serve him? And it might not be a gift of teaching. It might not be a gift of evangelism. It might not be a gift of, you know, um, leadership. But it might be a gift of mercy. It might be a gift of serving. It might be a gift of leadership. 
might be a gift of helps, might be a gift of giving. Whatever your gifts are, discover them. Start exercising them. I like what Romans chapter 12 says about this, verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And I tell you what, one thing that will keep you on track, discovering what God's called you to do, the giftings he's given you, and then exercise them. Use them. I remember when I was in college, just a couple years old in the Lord, I got involved with the Baptist student union there at the University of Illinois, and they let us go out to rural Baptist churches and do student ministry teams. We do a Friday night service, a Saturday night service, a Sunday morning service, and a Sunday night service. And I just went to serve, went to help with the youth ministry or children's ministry, and I just loved it because it was an outlet to use some of the gifts that God gave me. And then I remember the first time they put me up in the pulpit because one guy got sick who was supposed to preach, and they said, okay, your turn. You're up tomorrow morning. And I was, I remember going up that time, first time I preached, and I was like, man, my knees, you know, knee knocking? My knees were knocking. I was so nervous. And I put the Bible on the pulpit. I taught a whole message on holiness. I'll still remember it. Because during that message, the Lord spoke to my heart this is what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. This is the gifting I'm giving you to teach God's word and do this the rest of your life. I was 19 years old, and I knew what I was supposed to do the rest of my life. And that's a wonderful thing. You start using your gift and start finding your gifts, God will set you on a direction, and he'll keep you on track as you're serving him. And we need to find what God's called us to, what God's gifted us with, and then use those gifts. It'll keep you on track. Now, look, let's close it up now. Verse 15. Take pains with these things, Timothy. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention, Timothy, to yourself. Notice, to yourself and to your teaching and persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, this is the last thing I want you to see. You want to stay on track? You want to keep going forward? You want to progress? Look at the words that Paul uses here with Timothy. It says, be absorbed. Take pains. Keep progressing. Pay close attention to yourself. What's he saying there? We want to stand on track spiritually. We need to practice self-care. What does that mean? Make sure you're growing in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you're not growing spiritually, you're not going to be effective in doing what God's called you to do. Jesus put it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I will abide in him and produce much, what? Fruit. But apart from me, Jesus said, you could do nothing. I remember seminary. I was in seminary over 35 years ago. Man, I'm getting old. Graduate school, 35 years ago. And I don't remember much about seminary. I don't remember much about the Greek or the Hebrew classes. I don't, I don't remember much. I, I, know, I know it helped me. And I, I remember some of the church planning courses. But I remember one course specifically that really altered the way I thought about ministry. It was a spiritual formation class. And I remember the teacher up there teaching from his lectern. And he told us very clearly. He said, guys, if you want to be effective in ministry... Your ministry must always flow out of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You will never be fruitful. You'll never be productive spiritually and eternally in ministry and ministering to other people if you're not taking care of yourself first spiritually. Prioritize prayer. Prioritize relation with Christ. Prioritize being in fellowship, being, in, being with uh, productive, constructive, godly relationships with other people. Prioritize self-care first, and then you'll be effective in what God's called you to do. And that's true for you all, too. That's not just for pastors. You want to be effective in your witness at work? You want to be effective in your witness and your family members? You want to be effective out there making a difference for the kingdom of God? you got to prioritize your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, you could do nothing. But with him, man, we could produce fruit. God can use us to change the world. But it all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Interesting, New Testament apostles that changed the world the, the, even their enemies looked at them and said, these guys are uneducated. They, they haven't been to Hebrew school. They haven't been to seminary. But, but they said, even the enemies of, of the apostles of Christ said, but we could tell they have been with Jesus because their lives have been changed by this relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we got to do if we're going to stay on track spiritually? Let's review real quick. Number one, we got to stay away from what? False teaching. Oh, stay away from false teaching. Number two, we need to be constantly nourished by God's word and sound doctrine. Number three, we need to discipline ourselves for what? Godliness. Godliness. We need to be training ourselves in godliness because it, it not only is for this life but the life to come. Number four, we need to be an example to others. Remember, that our life is an example. We're, we're, we're to hold ourselves accountable for our speech and our conduct and our purity and our love and our faith. Be an example. Shine your light in such a way that others see your good works. Number five, we need to discover your own spiritual gifts. And then use them, man. Exercise them, Romans 12 says. And then lastly, we need to practice self-care. Make sure you're growing in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And hey, you're, you might be here this morning and you're, it's whoosh, going over your head because you're saying, I, I, you're talking about not getting off track spiritually. I'm not even on the track. And you might be here this morning and you're saying, I need to get on the track. I agree wholeheartedly. Today might be your day. Today might be your day where you say, I'm going to get on the track. I'm going to receive Christ. I'm going to begin this relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's, here's all you got to do. You got to admit that you need Christ. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Admit it. The second thing you got to do is got to trust Christ. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, trust him and you shall be saved. And then thirdly, you need to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You need to say I confess Jesus as my Lord and my savior and I believe in, the, in my heart that he rose from the grave. And I'll help you do that this morning if you want to do that. Just a simple prayer away. It's called the sinner's prayer. And if you want to pray the sinner's prayer during this prayer time, just raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I want to pray the sinner's prayer, and I'll lead you in a prayer that will help you get on the track and help you begin a relationship with Christ. And you know what? God loves you so much. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that you're not good enough to be loved by God. God loves you. God loves sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That was what they called him. And he wants to be your friend too. And he died on the cross. He said, greater love has no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. So if you need to begin that friendship this morning, just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. 
We could, we, could say, I could, we could say that prayer together, and it'll come into your heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word helps us to live lives that don't get derailed or shipwrecked spiritually. And Father, I just thank you so much, God, that you have a, a plan and a purpose for all of us, God. Your plans for us are not for calamity, but for welfare, to give us a future and a hope, Lord. And we thank you for that this morning, God. Father, help us to be people that apply your truths this morning, that stay away from false teaching and our Bereans, searching the scriptures daily ourselves to see, make sure that what we're believing is of your word and is of truth, God. Help us to be people that are nourished on a daily basis by your word, God. Help us to hunger and thirst for your word, God. Help us to be like newborn babes that long for the pure milk of your word so that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. God, I pray too that you give us a heart that disciplines ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Help us to be people that delay self-gratification for the future rewards that godliness brings into our lives. God, I pray too that we remember that we're, we're to be examples. We're to prove ourselves to be examples in our speech, in our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity, God. Help us to keep being people that are seeking first your kingdom and righteousness, Lord, so you can add all things unto us. And I pray too that we'd be people that are finding our gifts and using them, Lord, exercising them for your kingdom, and that'll keep us on track, God. And lastly, Lord, help us to be people that are absorbed in making progress in our own personal relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to pay close attention to that walk with you, God, so that we can go on forward instead of backwards spiritually, God. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to get on the track, needs to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, needs to admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and they want to trust Jesus and confess Jesus as our Lord this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, this is what I want you to do. I want you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you pray for me that I'd begin this relationship with Christ, that I would start it, and that I'd get on the track spiritually. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, just raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you. Praise the Lord right here in the middle. Praise God. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in just a second. Great decision. Anybody else this morning, if you want to begin this relationship with Christ, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. If you want to pray that prayer to begin this relationship with Christ, just raise your hand right now. I'd love to pray for you in just one second. All right, praise the Lord. Just pray this prayer with me right now, uh, out loud. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, and I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Praise the Lord.